Welcome to Questonia, the podcast about Estonian news and culture. I'm Stuart Garlick and I'm with Marius Hellrand. Now, our main interview this time is going to be with Annette Malatyalov, who is a member of the Estonian LGBT Association and also was the main organiser of Tartu Pride um, this this year, uh, which took place uh, in June. And uh, Marius, looking forward to talking to them. But uh, first of all, Let's talk about the uh, coalition negotiations, because the last time we spoke on the podcast, it looked pretty much cut and dried that this gentleman's agreement that supposedly existed between Centre, Isamar and Ekra would mean that, uh, you know, after a bit of uh, paper negotiation, they would go into government together. But uh, it's not happened that way. So Kaya Kalas hasn't resigned as prime minister uh, because she feels that constitutionally, she says it would it would create uh, an issue for any future minority government. Um, that's put to one side. But she's negotiating negotiating right now with the Social Democrats, who essentially seem amenable to most things that uh, that she wants, and uh, Isamar, who are driving a harder bargain. Uh, their leader, Heriel Valdor Seder, said uh, there is no common ground right now. I took that quite pessimistically, but uh, give me a reason to be cheerful. We, we must be cheerful, first of all, that we don't have the Ekraik government yet, as we were uh, pretty much expecting to happen a few weeks ago, after right after the government collapsed and uh, the centre party ministers were kicked out. Uh, the gamble that uh, Rottas and uh, mostly also his party whip Karilaid uh, went into didn't didn't really work out, and that's a cause for optimism. I mean, it's uh, it's very hard to imagine a more cynical politician than <laughs> one of those two, especially on Karilaid, I think, um, and uh, the looking at this political theatre going on about um, child benefit. Uh, um, it it went uh, all the way into a ridiculous uh, uh, situation uh, at the time when we are uh, when we have uh, a war ongoing next door. We have forty four thousand Ukrainian refugees in the country, and uh, we still we don't know what's uh, what's uh, what's going to happen uh, internationally. Uh, so uh, yeah, I mean that's a cause of optimism to say that this uh, the the worst case scenario didn't happen that we that everyone really was uh, banking on a couple of weeks ago. But now well, it's not been a smooth sailing, uh, even though uh, uh, Carlos uh, Reform Party and um, Social Democrats and Isama have been negotiating, and they were. Quite hopeful to call the, um, call the deal um, before Yanibev, but Yanibev um, has come and gone, and um, the, there's still no deal. Yeah, and maybe uh, ju- just because political anoraks have been discussing this, and I, I feel like uh, I feel like laymen don't really understand it. Maybe let's go through the reasons why Kaya Kalas could have resigned as prime minister but chose not to, and uh, who that protects exactly, and why she feels that resigning as prime minister would create a constitutional precedent that was bad for future minority governments. I- is that actually true, or is that a smokescreen to avoid her resigning as prime minister? 
you know, there there has been um, a lot of, uh, um, there have been so many opinions and a lot of fog around this uh, constitutional uh, question, whether she should have resigned, could have resigned, or should not have resigned. There were, there are, there are many different interpretations. And I think uh, in the end of the day, the voters don't care, care about this uh, um, constitutional uh, uh, nitty-gritty. Uh, I mean, it, it, maybe it sounds a bit uh, horrible to to call it uh, call it as such. But what the, vo the voters care is about is security and um, the energy crisis, and everyone is expecting that to hit really bad uh, in September. So the question is, what is how best to solve these issues? And not about the the resigning or not resigning being yeah. constitutional or not constitutional. Yeah, that that's really that's really the issue that we've got next year, isn't it? I mean, for for the, for those of us who des desperately don't want a far right um, pro pro traditional family anti everything else government uh, in in uh, in in Stenbock. You've got potentially the situation where there'll be yet another energy and COVID crisis this winter, and uh, then the government comes around the home straight uh, into the elections at the beginning of next year as an incredibly unpopular government. Um, that I mean, uh, ECRA particularly uh, build up their support and you know um, fuel the base uh, based on inequality and based on the idea of people being ignored. Well, um, both of those things could be uh, you know rocket. Fuel fuel for the extra base couldn't they absolutely i mean that's why uh, that's why everything else really should be uh, put on the back burner at the moment and uh and the the, the issue is how to uh, get through this winter without um, taking too heavy losses i mean it's uh, summer it's 32 degrees in shade and and nobody thinks of their heating bills at the moment but these bills are gonna hit us and uh, the inflation is not showing any signs of dying down so uh, I think the the new government whenever it comes together really should focus on on uh, on these questions and of course uh, um, quite understandably the attention of the of Carlos uh, has been on the NATO summit in Madrid that starts this week uh, uh, or that takes place uh, this week because uh, I mean she she has put it quite um, dramatically and it sounds perhaps alarmist but uh, saying to the FT that under the current plans of deterrence um, the the strategic planning to uh, retreat and let uh, the enemy slash Russia take uh, uh, territory here means uh, that there's going to be butchers and Irpins and uh, there's not going to be anything to take back. So uh, the, we have to bear in mind that this has been sort of the absolute steel focus of her uh, since months to get this changed and moved now in Madrid and it seems uh, that uh, that uh, we might see a success and an understanding here so uh, these two issues and uh, security 
uh, NATO defense strategies and uh, energy and uh, income issues uh, for for the coming winter ahead with uh, with uh, bearing in mind the impact of those for the coming up elections are the, the key questions and everything else really uh, that they like to discuss on the on the coalition talks uh, like the the future of Estonian uh, language education the, the or the faith of uh, fate of the Russian curriculum schools it's it it shouldn't be even discussed because it's a government for eight months it's not it's not going to be solving these issues we have uh, really pressing questions uh, that uh, that that they're a matter of survival so it's not uh, worth spending weeks uh, debating things that might happen in 2025 or perhaps 2027 we have to survive until then and um the the, the Isamar party which is uh, obviously uh, uh Seder is uh, is is the is the chairman of that party but uh, you have you've got uh, old school figures like Ermas Reintolu there i mean they they are not um so there there was a time when i i think it's worth mentioning they they were basically considered the party of independence so uh, you know they were the most popular party around the time of Mart Lara's prime minister prime ministership but uh, they've become kind of a rump party that seems unsure whether to try and ape the policies of the reform reform party in in the cent, in the centrist area or try and become a sort of a you know diet coke version of ecra on the far right they seem to be trapped between those two poles and I I feel very much that Seder is the kind of leader who has hills to die on and um, he seems to have a very singular focus on things and you know I totally back the importance of having Estonian language taught in schools and um, uh, getting the schools that are not teaching majority Estonian transition as quickly as possible but you're right if that's not happened in the last five or so years why do they expect it to be uh, happening in the next coalition that's going to last eight months um what wh- what is the tactical thinking of Isamar in pushing so hard only for this issue do you think well, it's not the only issue, of course. They are also pushing hard on the issue of the child benefit that uh, the, the last government uh, formally sort of stumbled over in the first place. I mean, uh, that was the, the legislation uh, proposed by Isama was the one that uh, Riratas and the Centre Party uh, then uh, joined to back and that led to the collapse of the government. So they still want to push for this uh, uh, high jump of child benefit for the third child, and it, it's uh, yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's uh, just uh, sort of a gamble. I mean, it's in a way yes, it's it's something that their base uh, does care about, but the, it's not the main issue that their their base cares about. Again, if we talk about their political priorities, it's not it's not the um, the most important issue for their for their own voter base. So it's um, it's uh, something to gamble with, like a like a gaming gaming chip, and uh, that's um, that's what they are throwing 
around on this negotiation table, which I personally find uh, regrettable. Well, um, d- definitely so, and uh, it 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 just makes uh, all. Th- um, unfortunately, uh, I count the Social Democrats in this because they've done nothing wrong negotiation wise, but it does tar them with the same brush. The fact that uh, you've got three parties who can't come to well, what seems from the outside, rightly or wrongly, to be a relatively relatively simple deal. I I do want to mention the Social Democrats as well because uh, obviously they they are in the negotiations, and it looks like they will eventually be part of this government. But uh, I, I feel a lot of the time that the Social Democrats, because, because of their relatively small size in the Rigi Kogu, and it, I, I don't want to compare it to the situation that you've got on Tallinn City Council, because you, in, the Social Democrats are in government with uh, the Centre Party there. But it, it does feel that the Social, de- like the Social Democrats, are called into coalitions where they are kind of aware that they are the minority partner and kind of have to be happy with crumbs from the table a little bit. I mean, there are presumably a lot of policies that the Social Democrats would love to get through in the uh, next eight months that, again, they have even less chance than Isamar of getting through. Uh, do, do, you say, do you see any hope for the Social Democrats getting anything positive electorally out of this uh, next cycle? I think, I mean... To be frank, to get anything positive electorally is if they if they don't gamble too hard and uh, don't fall under the table with the rest of the crumbs. Uh, being the one the one who like fails this coalition is going to be fatal. Whatever whatever deal they go into, even if it if it can be called crumbs from the table, is still better than no deal electorally as well. So um, I hope uh, I hope they uh, they really uh, get their minds around it and and just get it done. Okay, so the next thing you're going to hear is our interview with Annette Malitjarov of the Estonian LGBT Association, organizer of Tartu Pride. Annette Malitjarov, thank you for joining uh, Questonia. So. We're coming to the end of Pride Month. Um, just generally speaking, are you pleased with how uh, Pride Month has gone in Estonia and particularly Tartu Pride? Yes, definitely. Uh, the Pride Month uh, in Estonia or the week that we had went really, really well. Uh, we had a lot of events. Uh, I think like almost every day except Sunday there was some event. So in Tartu there's this uh, new LGBT plus NGO, Tartu LGBT plus. Uh, which are young people who organize a lot of events. So within this week, they organized a drag workshop, a karaoke, a sign making, like a poster making workshop, uh, and also a picnic. Uh, so that was very nice. Um, there was also a queer programming workshop where they made different queer activist websites. There was a drag show in Tallinn, uh, also a concert slash show in Tartu on Friday. And then uh, we finished off with the big parade in Tartu, uh, after that the picnic and then the after party as well. So yeah, the, all of the events were super successful, a lot of people um, and the parade itself also went really, really well, like unexpectedly well. We were expecting around 500 people and some opposition and in the end there were over a thousand of us participants and only a few like audience warriors on the sides watching uh, but they weren't doing anything, so it it went really, really well. 
Yeah, and actually, con considering um, I believe it was quite a late thing that you were able to put together um, as as a group, uh, the organisers, it, it it went really well, and uh, like like you said, uh, the numbers were quite a way up on what was predicted. Um, compared to say Riga Pride, where there was a lot more opposition uh, from from the sides, I I, I really barely noticed um, any um, any organised dissent. It was maybe only one or two people. So d does that say to you that? maybe the climate isn't as terrible for uh, LGBTQ in Estonia as uh, perhaps, um, you, you know, people people have suspected in the past. I mean, obviously, in terms of the law, in terms of politics, it's got a long way to go. But does that say that maybe people who were sitting on the fence are softening a bit more now towards LGBTQ rights? Well, I... I think definitely this year it went better than last year because uh, last year we had we we didn't have a pride with the LGBT association but I personally organized the pride bike ride uh, which was just also like a local event put together for the community to have an opportunity to come together after the pandemic uh, when the restrictions lifted and then we had like actual young neo-nazis come there who attacked our volunteers uh, who also attacked some of the participants so from last year's experience, I was really expecting more opposition. Um, also, what Udi said, his website posted basically a call for people to come and grab the mic and, and come with their signs. But I guess it didn't reach much people. And this time we also really, really put a lot of attention on, on security. We were working together with the police. Uh, we were really working hard to get the car road closed. Uh, Thanks to our sponsor, Nordia Bank, uh, we managed to hire a security team. Uh, we also had like 15 volunteers uh, on the spot were keeping orders. So uh, we really did everything in our power um, to make it safe. We also communicated it that we are working together with the police and the security team and, and posted to participants as well that if somebody comes, just don't engage with, with them. If they are, you know, provoking you, just smile and wave. They're just jealous of us that we are so fabulous, you know, <laughs> that kind of stuff. Uh, and, and I think that also helped. So in general, yes, this pride went well, but still, you know, there was there was still one attack before the event uh, at a bus stop or a train stop uh, where one of our organizers got harassed by some homophobe. And, and still within the past few months, I've, I've heard stories of friends getting harassed or attacked in Tallinn outside of Svetabad, for example or just on the street, especially trans people. So even though this pride went successfully, which shows that there is now more support in Estonia, I still see in the community that there has been cases of hate speech, hate crimes, physical attacks. Um, so there's definitely a long, long way to go. It's been um, quite a while since the last uh, big event, I think. I mean, the ones you described in, the, in between were much, much uh, smaller. Um, why is that? Why, uh, why was there a sort of a, almost, a, almost a pride movement uh, dying down from the, from the public domain? Well, I wouldn't say it was dying down, but basically in the Baltics, uh, it used to be that uh, prides were organized every three years. So in Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, rotating between the countries. Um, so the last the last Baltic Pride in Estonia took place in 2017, 
which was in general the first pride in 10 years in Estonia. So that was kind of us coming back to the streets and showing we are here, we are not afraid anymore, and we, we want equal rights. Uh, the next uh, Baltic Pride was supposed to take place in 2020, but that got uh, cancelled due to COVID. Um, in the meantime, between 2017 and 2020, there were just no prides because the association doesn't have <laughs> enough resources and enough employees, enough, enough staff to make it happen. Um, so that's why in 2021, uh, I saw, I mean, some other activists saw that there is a need in the community for this. So we organized something small ourselves. Um, but this year with the association, we had been seeing as well that the community wants pride. Uh, the like. I don't know if Estonian society is ready for it, but the community is ready for it. The community wants it, so that's why we decided to have uh, a pride in. We, we decided to have a pride this year, but right now we also see that there are more LGBT plus groups and activists in Estonia. So that's another thing that we see that there's more active people in the community who want to organize stuff. So my main task and role and project in the association right now is creating this network of LGBT plus groups and activists. And this is the fir first Pride that we organized together with the network. So the main main organizers of the Pride Parade were us, uh, the Tartu LGBT Plus um, NGO and also Vikerum, uh, but also some other people from the network were helping out. So that's that's what, thanks to what it was possible to have, have this Pride, um, but also what made it a bit uh, yeah, I, I feel that's what we, we, that was our first experience organizing this pride together with other organizations. And especially because with funding, we had some issues that uh, one of our projects uh, got terminated because of the war uh, in Ukraine, as uh, the program was focusing on uh, cooperation with uh, Russian, Baltic and Nordic NGOs. And one of our partners was a Russian LGBT group, which obviously is not pro-Putin and isn't even an official organization. The whole funding program got cancelled, so we had to find new funding. And when we finally got it uh, from the US Embassy, then we uh, were really busy and started working on it. But it took some coordinating with other groups and the network. But I'm, I'm really glad it happened. And I'm really glad that we had our um, LGBT history researchers, Tavi Koppel and Rebecca Wiltsam, uh, who helped us out, especially Tavi, who gave us some insights and really asked us to celebrate 30 years uh, from decriminalization of uh, homosexuality in Estonia. And also that's why we took this focus of the history, the 30 years from decriminalization, also, also 30 years ago, the first trans person in Estonia got their uh, gender legally recognized. So we took this as a starting point and then we saw how far we've come and we see not far enough uh, there's this standstill, and that's how we took this uh, um, our motto of like how how long can we take this? How long do we have no marriage equality? Not the Civil Partnership Act has no application laws. Trans people still have to go in front of a committee and get uh, a letter from a minister to get their their gender uh, recognized. So so that's why we wanted to do this and really have this political. 
Yeah, and th- there's a lot I want to dig into there, but just to come back to the point you made about funding, um, obviously in, in 2020 there was an attempt by the then government, uh, um, mostly by the equity parts of that government, uh, to to defund the LGBT association. And um, I, I always felt that... The, the aim of that uh, um, attempted defunding was was whether or not it succeeded to try and to try and um, you know um, lower the level of motivation among people who might have helped the community and to, to that extent I, I felt and it, you've explained very well uh, that Baltic Pride is a, is a three yearly thing normally but I, I felt that uh, you, you know just just looking around at uh, the kind of slowing down of uh, community activities and the fact that it just wasn't being talked about in the mainstream media as much. I wondered if maybe uh, the, the government at that time had succeeded in demotivating uh, supporters and helpers. Um, how, how are you doing for funding as an association now? I mean, obviously, you're never going to say you're fully funded and you don't need any more help. But um, would you say that financially you are secure for the next year or so now? Well, first of all, I would argue that, uh, in a way, thanks to ECRE, actually, the community activism became even more active. I think the thing that slowed it down was the COVID pandemic, because uh, then it was just not possible to come together. But I feel uh, in 2019, we saw a big increase from support from the community. So even though one of our fundings got cut down, then we gained more donations, and we also see that even though there weren't any prides, there were the Heamelavaltose, the uh, good uh, meaning demonstrations to support marriage equality. Um, so even though there haven't been prides and maybe not that many physical events, there has been more protests in Estonia, which is quite new. And, and also the community has come more together and come more unified because all research shows as well that the more marginalized you are, the more of a community feeling and, uh, and the sense of belonging you actually get. So, so in a way, I feel it has actually had this opposite reaction than what they could have wanted, that people came together and started fighting. Uh, but in terms of funding, yeah, it's, it's always been difficult. Uh, but right now, yeah, I'm, most of our work or all of our work is project-based and, and we just keep looking and keep applying for uh, different funding opportunities. Uh, of course, it would be better if we would get more donations. Um, but that's tough, especially again right now with the war, as we ourselves do also do uh, right now fundraising for a Ukrainian LGBT plus organization. Um, so I'd say right now we are secure enough that we can manage, uh, but the situation could also be better. We could, for example, hire more people and do our work more efficiently. Could we could we go and look into the state of affairs? Uh from uh, from the legislative perspective and what's uh, what's happening overall i mean um i i have uh, lost count of the years since the uh, the uh, gender neutral partnership was uh, approved uh, and nothing has moved since even though we actually for a while did have a, a government uh, that at least nominally was liberal and at least nominally would would have been able to uh, pass the uh, missing legislation. Why, why is it taking so long and what is exactly missing and what's uh, what what are your what's your outlook? Well yeah right now it's been eight years <laughs> so uh, obviously, 
obviously during ECRA government, so you couldn't expect any any movement, and it was rather from us trying to preserve the status quo and for it not to get worse. After that, um, right now we feel that different parties are using LGBT plus people and our rights as this political toy. To just people keep talking about it, they keep arguing about it, but there are no actions and. Uh, we feel that both from the supporters and those who are against are getting tired of all of this. Like even LGBT plus people are tired of constantly hearing about the Civil Partnership Act. Right now we are already beyond it. We, we, it's been a long while that we actually want, you know, marriage equality. Um, so I feel Civil Partnership Act is something that should just be done to get it over with at this point. Because talking about it, I think um, uh, Salk uh, also has shown actually but I, I think some yeah i lost my track of thought but like I, I i think that from all sides people are tired of this talking and they want to see some actions at least and uh, and yeah and, and we see that uh, for example the prime minister has said that yes civil partnership act we are trying to work for it uh, or at least at some point when we were protesting in front of the parliament uh, last year with some activists, um, then they said that they do want to do it, but we have COVID crisis, then we have another crisis, then we have another crisis, and then we're trying to get this consensus. But right now we see that this consensus will not be reached and it just have to be something that uh, is get done. Um, so yes, that's, that's how I would say we feel about this right now. Yeah, I, I, I would say, um, I, I would just echo your point and say that it, it quite often feels like um, the the largest mainstream political parties, and I'm not by any means tarring them all with the same brush, uh, they, they seem eventually to resort to the position of believing that the supporters that they need to be serving are um, white, straight, middle-aged people who happen to donate to the party. But uh, um Edouard Odinets, who's a Social Democrat uh, Party member, um, uh, wrote an op-ed uh, this year on public broadcasting saying, uh, why does the Reform Party f flirt with the LGBT community before the election, but then obey the diktat of the right-wing populists after the election? Um, and, and the Social Democrat Party... Um, didn't actually send any members to the um, to the uh, legal affairs committee meeting uh, about the equal marriage petition, which uh, the Estonian Greens had floated, and which was, I think, signed by uh, thirty five thousand people in the end. So it, it does feel like uh, a large tranche of politics, which might be considered centrist or centre right or centre left, isn't doing as much as it could here. Um, is it time that we put? Is it time that we focused maybe as much as we are focusing on ECRA and on Centre and on their, uh, you know, very traditional um, um, uh, value politics? Is it about time we put more pressure on the more centrist parties to do more, do you think? I think I think definitely. I mean, I feel in general what everybody seems to be doing or, or seems to be focusing in the political field is thinking, up, like following ECRA's lead. For example, we only started talking about marriage equality when ECRIC came with their marriage referendum, you know. So it's always, I feel, in politics that, oh, if we do this, then ECRE will start uh, a big show and they will start counter-opposing. So they consider with ECRE with everything that they do. And I think that shouldn't be this way. Why do we give them that much attention? 
um, with the center leaning, it's yeah. I mean, that's that's how in general. I'm not sure with parties, it's it's a bit more difficult. Uh, but with center leaning people, it's definitely important to get to them, like the sort of say movable middle to to get to them and and talk to them and make them realize that that LGBT plus rights are basic human rights and they're part of our you know democracy, independence, and all those values that separate for us from some some other neighboring uh, countries or one neighboring country. So I I think that's definitely we should keep in mind that protecting LGBT plus families is also protecting family values and also making sure that our society is more united, more coherent and more secure. So all in all, you know, LGBT plus right, other minority rights are are right now even a matter of security, I would say. And I think uh, by by focusing on this, we could also get the support of those countries who are for you know our independence and for our freedom yeah and it's it's interesting you mentioned the matter of security and it is interesting the number of times um legislation isn't passed to help lgbtq people and um the reason cited is something to do with the politic of national security so um in the uh decision by the legal affairs committee to not consider the uh, estonian greens petition to allow for marriage between anyone um regardless of uh, of of sex um, the Legal Affairs Committee uh, um, judged that um, uh, supporting the petition would be irresponsible and directly dangerous to society. Um, is is it actually more dangerous to society? Do you think that um, people um, that that lawmakers are still using the uh, concept of national security as a reason to not allow equal rights? Sure, if they use. I feel it's it's a different lens. I feel the way they use this national security is that they really want to preserve this traditional family values that they really want to, or at least from uh, Eka's arguments, we see a lot about this kind of preserving traditional Christian, European family and civilization, etc. Um, and yeah, I I, I think the the argument of security as i said mostly is that you can see that the more you know coherent and united society you have the better you can have the security and and what the current i feel when you use the civil partnership act for eight years to polarize the society uh because right now it's it's something if you do it then it's just not on the table anymore something that you can use to greatest division if you just do it then you have it you know um, so I feel that's that's how I feel about it. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I mean this uh, this polarization is a uh, is a uh, like in a way it's even a good thing to have these eight years because right after it was argued in the in the elections after that this was the one the one reason that brought um, such great success to the far right populists because that was a polarizing issue and they could. Uh, bank on it but uh, within these eight years the movable middle of the society as you mentioned before has uh, has moved um, so the, the, the rate of acceptance of uh, 
homosexual um, arrangements has has grown massively, and uh, so actually we have a sort of a positive outcome in terms of the whole society due to this, uh, because the because the Civil Partnership Act was passed and the sky didn't fall down and people just un- see that. Hmm, I'm, no, I mean non-LGBT people, that we can go on with our lives, nothing happens if other people get more rights. But so in a way it has uh, actually moved the middle already. So really there's no um, no reason to be scared um, to take this one last step in for these acts. and. Uh, and of course, also to take the the marriage equality step, it's not gonna um, end up in more polarization than 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 we had after the first uh, sort of uh, moment. We are beyond this polarization, I think. I mean, Salk really uh, researched uh, this um, quite uh, thoroughly uh, ahead of the so-called uh, marriage referendum and uh, the results were not very clear. Also, what's important in this de- debate is to see how important this issue is for people if this uh, on their priority list of policy issues. And it's not that yeah. uh, important. So like for sort of conservative voters, it might not be uh, the defining issue. So it yeah there should be a bit more bravery in politics yeah. yeah definitely because when you when you accept those laws again it it brings two things it's that if you do this now then the conservative parties cannot use this as this polarizing topic anymore they don't have this tool to manipulate the people anymore second if we do them then we can focus on again more important stuff i feel for lgbt plus people as well like how long can we talk about those very basic stuff when there's more pressing issues like the energy crisis, the electricity crisis, climate crisis, uh, um, economic uh, inequality that everybody, including LGBT plus people and especially more marginalized people are affected as well. So, so I feel just by the conservative parties giving all rights that much attention isn't favoring anybody not even us so i feel the best would be just to you know accept those laws and and move on and and work on issues that are actually important that matter not saying that they don't matter they matter to us a lot and they affect human people's lives but uh i think you know what i mean and, and clearly, none of us here are lawyers. Uh, I, I don't think uh, don't think anyone here is a lawyer. But um, it, it just feels a bit messy the way that uh, any um, well the the way that the law approaches this because um, the majority of Estonian law was written written before there was anyone in the top echelons of lawmaking, you know, willing to consider this. And you, you can still see that in places. I mean, obviously, we've mentioned already the uh, gender neutral cohabitation um, bill um, has has not passed its implementing acts and uh, in fact uh, you, you could argue that if not for the collapse of the Roivas government in 2016 it might have happened but uh, it's still you know a, a, a kind of a moot point because it didn't happen and um, we, we've now had successive governments for, for whom it's not 
been um, it's not been a priority. But you, you know, you, you might say that's just that's just on paper and things are happening in the background. But I mean, I'm anecdotally aware of people who have had troubles getting visas for their partners because of the uh, legal status of cohabitation with, um, within Estonia, for example. So there's that, and then. Also, um, the Supreme Court uh, said in 2021, although I think the judgment was later overturned, that uh, the law restricting the residence of gay couples um, who had a cohabitation agreement in a different country um, was was unlawful. Um, so lots of things. Also, a third thing before I let you sort of answer the point, um, a small hobby horse of mine. According to my reading of the naming law right now, um, if you are non-binary and wish to change your name, you must do so to another name that is, um, I think I'm quoting correctly, appropriate to your gender, which obviously is not the point of being non-binary. So th- there are lots of things where maybe the law could change to be more modern, but uh, th- there just doesn't seem to be anyone who is willing to look at that. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? The trans legislation is really, really lacking behind, uh, especially for non-binary people, uh, for trans people in general to change their legal name. In most places, when you have changed your legal gender marker, then you can choose the name uh, of this particular gender. But if you don't have it, then uh, there, I, I think the law says that it has to be... Um, I think there's something about some convi- like uh, convincing reasons or something like that. So it depends on how the person working at the like the what's it called official working on it is reading this law. So technically it would be possible, um, but but it really depends on the officials. And I um, and yeah, in, in general the translation uh, for uh, gender recognition is from the year ninety nine. Uh, which again, like currently, it's only for binary people. It uh, says that first you have to see a psychiatrist, which already in Estonia is a long and expensive procedure, long or expensive, basically. Um, and you have to get the diagnosis of transsexualism, which is an outdated term. And only then, then you have to wait in a line to see a committee of medical experts um, who then will ask you questions and tell you if you are trans or not and and based on that then you get i think a letter from the minister or this kind of uh, thing and then you can start hormones and another problem is that right now that the legal and the medical uh, gender recognitions are uh, intertwined so you can only change your uh, legal gender marker i think a year after the first committee visit and starting hormones so right now there's a situation where there's people who have been taking hormones for a year or two they already look the gender they are, but in their passport, it says their gender assigned at birth. So you can imagine what kind of troubles it brings when you're, I don't know, even going to a store to buy alcohol, trying to go to a club. Like I, I, I have a friend who was rejected entry to a nightclub because on her <laughs> passport, it says male and her like, you know, former uh, dead name. Um, or even with traveling, etc. So it's it's really something that affects people's everyday everyday lives. But right now, the society just doesn't talk about it. There's no movement in that area, and and I'm afraid that as long as we have as we have politicians or governments that are too scared to even make any moves on the Civil Partnership Act or the marriage equality, changing the trans legislation is 
is even more difficult. But on the other hand, maybe it's even better that right now we don't have those discussions on trans issues, because if we would have this in the center of everybody's attention and have a lot of transphobic comments from the politicians, in the media, etc., that might make things even worse for trans youth who already have the highest suicide rate and mental health like crisis. I was trying to think what is the roadblock to anything happening with this and I was thinking well there, there aren't as far as I know there are no openly gay national politicians there may there, there may be some openly gay local politicians um, that I'm not aware of but then they're all elected so does that mean that voters uh, so are voters not voting for for gay or LGBTQ politicians or is it the case that parties are not selecting them so where is the flaw in the system here I mean it's also a, a ball into the basket of the of the community itself I mean there are active national level politicians who are known to be gay but who are uh, not really uh, taking a stance there i mean uh, you mentioned uh, edward uh, odinets he's uh, he's probably the only one who is uh, an mp and uh, publicly and openly gay but uh, um, we've had uh, pe- people gay people as member of parliament before um Everyone knows they're gay, and um, they are not uh, not dealing with these issues. They are they are still hiding it in a way. So uh, I mean that's that's uh, one question. Uh, the I I don't think uh, that uh, sort of the the average among politicians is uh, different from the average of the population in terms of. Uh, numbers yeah so clearly it's it's an issue uh, and uh, well i think annette uh, yourself and uh, probably mine um uh, um the election results at the local elections shows that uh it's it's there's no obstacle in getting uh votes if you're uh, if you're an openly gay or gay-friendly candidate. Yeah, yeah. I, I think exactly what, what Marie said. I I feel my case shows that if you are an activist from the community and the, you participate in the elections, I had a lot of young people coming up to me. Well, not that young, but people who said they didn't vote in the last elections because they didn't feel that anybody represents them, that anybody talks about issues that matter to them. But now they did. Because they had somebody who, who speaks on those issues without shame and without trying to tone it down. Um, I feel with, so to say, top politicians or like higher level politicians, it's the kind of same as with the celebrities in Estonia. That again, there are people who we know are gay, everybody knows, but they are not out. And that also, I understand them as well. You know, you're afraid for your co- career. You don't want to be labeled as the gay politician or the gay actor or the gay singer, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I feel, yeah, it's it's a shame. Uh, but I hope, I'm at least hoping that now the younger generation, my generation or even the younger, are the ones that, that really are, are trying to make a change. And in the last uh, municipal elections, we saw that there were a lot of uh, LGBT plus candidates uh, in, in different cities, almost in Tallinn and Tartu. 
Um, most of them are not very, very active in the politics scene, I would say. Um, but yeah, right now, oh yeah, and, yeah, yeah. But I feel right now there is there is some movement. We'll see with the uh, parliamentary elections that are coming up um, if anybody's running. Um, but yeah, that's definitely something we would like to see more as well, like of having actually out and proud members of the parliament who dare to speak up on this and to start those discussions and uh, take take the lead uh, and to have the community speak for ourselves. Like in uh, Lithuania right now, there is uh, this one um, politician, uh, I don't remember his last name, I think his birth name is Vitautas, who was also uh, previously an activist at the Lithuanian Gay League, uh, and now he's uh, he, then he ran in the elections, and now he's Lithuania's first uh, openly uh, gay member of the parliament, and he's really, you know, out and proud. You can see on his Instagram photos how how out he is, and not ashamed of it, not trying to hide it, not trying to tone it down or look straight, or trying to conform to the heteronormative uh, uh, society. So I feel in that way. Yeah, for me, when I went to, sorry, I'm rambling on a bit, but when I went to Vilnius this uh, uh, this month for Baltic Pride, it was really great to see that, but also see, to see how, for example, Vilnius municipality and the mayor of Vilnius was really supportive of Baltic Pride. And uh, because we see that mostly how the Eastern European LGBT hierarchy, so to say, goes, is that people see Estonia as the most progressive based on what's on paper and based on our laws. And even when I talk to my Lithuanian queer friends, they're like, oh, you're in Estonia, you're in this like uh, progressive heaven of uh, having all those human rights and digital e-country, etc. Um, but actually, then I went to Vilnius and you see like the mayor of Vilnius coming to the human rights conference, speaking there, supporting the community, uh, the city allowing or doing themselves like those rainbow crossroads, uh, um, traffic lights with same-sex couples, uh, flags everywhere, and you see there's much more support. And luckily, now this year we, as well, Tartu, um, well, Tartu said the government and especially Deputy Mayor Kiagan Gilaski were really supportive of Tartu Pride as well. Uh, but that's definitely something I, I would like to see in Tallinn next year as well, hopefully. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's an amusing point I was thinking about during Pride Month because uh, obviously if, if you watch American TV or UK TV, there's there's always some kind of company coming out of the woodwork, you know, M and M support supports all supports all coloured candy during Pride, that kind of thing. Um, um, and and yet you know, try and imagine Rimi or Swedbank or some Estonian company supporting Pride uh, and um, and uh, d- doing it properly. It's uh, th- there's still a long way to go, but. I wanted to ask you a question from a granular level because we talked a lot about lawmaking and about government. Um, and if you are an Estonian or an international citizen within Estonia, and um, you know maybe you're in, maybe you're out, but um, you want to get to know the community more, um, what kinds of events would you recommend people go to? I mean, I, I know you have a radio program on uh, Ida Radio right now. Maybe you can tell us a bit about uh, how we can how we can listen to that online. But also, uh, what what kinds of social events are taking place that you would recommend people join? And uh, how can people? Because th- there are lots of people who may be LGBTQ but maybe don't know anyone in the community. So uh, it would be good maybe to get some uh, light shed on those kinds of things. Yeah. 
Um, so basically right now on Ida Radio there are two LGBT uh, radio shows. Uh, one of them is that uh, me and my friend Helgi Saldo, a drag artist, uh, drag artist we do, is Homo Kringel. Uh, and the other one is uh, that my colleague Christina Raut, our communication, head of communications at the association, does is uh, Argielo Virtus, uh, so Everyday Equality, which is also in Ida Radio. And then there's a, uh, Lilla Agenda, uh, which is uh, a queer podcast that uh, uh, Mel and Paul, uh, two trans activists, uh, do that started even before our two uh, shows. So there's three active podcast slash radio shows right now. Um, they're all in Estonian. Well, Homo Kringel is in Estonglish, so if you listen, you might <laughs> recognize a few words, or if you want to learn Estonian, I feel that's a good starting point. At least I know a few friends who uh, do that. Um, and as for events, uh, in Tallinn, mostly Svetabar. Um, the shame, uh, it's a shame that right now most of the events are really parties and clubbing. Um, so mostly for adults and people who want to spend their nights dancing away or drinking or not drinking. Um, but yeah, mostly at Svetabar. There's also X-Bar in Tallinn. Uh, now there's more LGBT-friendly events also at Odeon or Uslaine, so different uh, places near Telliskivi. Um, there's also Queer Planet, which is this... Uh, a queer group that uh, also used to do queer parties, but now they have also been doing queer poetry nights. Uh, I went to one of uh, them. It was really, really cute. Uh, so that's also something that's uh, more for uh, young people or people who want to have fun sober during the daytime. Um, and in Tartu, yeah, in Tartu there's Vika Room, so they have a monthly queer parties there. And also Tartu LGBT Plus, as I mentioned, does a lot of events for, for minors and like karaoke and picnics, etc. Um, what else? And and at the LGBT Association, we host a trans uh, support group uh, get-togethers. So, but that's uh, only for trans and non-binary people to have this uh, safe space. Um, what else? And and then there's also virtual communities, which uh, really. Um, got, I, I would say, became more prominent during the COVID pandemic. So we have a Facebook group, there's a Discord, um, where people can also meet each other or find information about events. Okay, excellent. Um, is there anything else anyone would like to cover? Well, Baltic Pride in Tallinn next year. Either, yeah, yeah. So, uh, t so, but Baltic Pride obviously is going to be a much, much bigger scale to uh, what what we saw in Tartu this time. Um, I would assume that the wheels are already turning in terms of planning what happens there. Slowly, yes. Uh, I we're not set on the dates yet, uh, but right now we are having some thoughts. We're probably going to have a human rights conference as usual. Um, what else? And the usual parade uh, after that, a uh, little concert or picnic, after party, different events throughout the week. Um, more information will come soon. Now that Tartu Pride is over, we'll start, <laughs> can start working on Baltic Pride. Um, but yeah, this time I think we're, uh, our messages or our demands will be the same, probably, as, uh, as uh, in Tartu. 
or we'll also see, you know, we don't know what the election will bring because the pride is after the elections. So that will also affect how, what exactly the focus of Baltic Pride will be and how how we can go about organizing this. But it is for sure that it will happen in Tallinn. And uh, yeah, just uh, follow us on uh, Facebook, Instagram, Estonian LGBT Association, and uh, we'll post about it soon. Sure. And um, I, th- I think uh, the, the kind of... Uh, the the optimism that I feel is based on the fact that as the electorate gets younger and as younger people move into the electorate and older people move out of the electorate, um, I th- I think it's largely older people in the countryside who are um, uh, causing this uh, this this swelling of the far right vote, and I I don't see them being replaced in big enough numbers by younger people to um, to actually you know con- continue this sort of conservativization of Estonian politics. So uh, I my my personal feeling is that uh, if um, uh, if if Ekra don't do really well in the next election, then uh, things could uh, quite quickly uh, swing swing the way of equal rights. But uh, that's that's just that's not a conviction backed up by any facts. That's just that's just a feeling that I have. I don't I don't know if you feel similarly optimistic or uh, if you're feeling quite pessimistic for the election. Oh, I don't just I don't want to think about it. I mean, we have to to make uh, make some. Uh things to consider with and some predictions but at this point we'll see how it goes there's been many surprises within the past three years i would say so uh you can never be sure so mm. let's those but encouraging everybody to go vote yeah especially young people they're really looking forward to the to the pride next summer <laughs> it was it was great fun <laughs> Thank you very much for doing this. Uh, this has been really good to talk to you. And um, yeah, really appreciate you taking the time, Annette. Yeah, thank you for having me. You can also catch us on our Patreon page. That is patreon.com forward slash Questonia, where we've got extra material and extended edition of the previous podcast. And we'll be putting plenty more up there uh, when we reconvene in August. The next episode you will hear will be when the government is formed and it will be an explanation of the new government. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye.